Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com or you can download our free Living Truth app. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 34 called The Two Roads. So I mentioned in my prayer The Two Roads. I want you to, we'll look ahead for a second. First of all, look with me at Isaiah 34, verse 2, and then we'll skip ahead to verse 5. Isaiah 34, 2 says, for the Lord's indignation is against all the nations. This is taking us into the last day's judgment. His wrath is against all their armies, which implies that they have come against the Lord. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to slaughter. Look at verse 5. For my sword is satiated, that word means satisfied or filled in heaven. Behold, it shall descend for judgment upon Edom and upon the people whom I have devoted to destruction. And then go to chapter 35, look at verse 8 with me. And a highway will be there, Isaiah 35, 8, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it. Now, that's just a foretaste. We're going to come back to those verses. But notice that there is a highway of holiness. I know ACDC sung of a highway to somewhere else. Now, skip ahead and go to the book of Matthew. I want you to see what Jesus says. He's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, first book of the New Testament. And he says these words, and he's summing up the Sermon on the Mount, which is not just about good ethics, it's really about what God desires from us, but the only way that we can produce it is if we know God, if we have the Spirit of God in us. The sermon is really meant to show us God's high standards and how we need the Lord. Here's what he says. This is Matthew seven thirteen. He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And if you've never marked this before, mark it. And many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And few are those who find it. And then he gives a warning. He says, beware of the false prophets who will come uh, to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter by that way, enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many on that broad road will be religious. They will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Prophecy is often thought of as preaching. Prophecy, we often say in the New Testament, is the foretelling of the word of God. So apparently these people were prophesying, speaking on behalf of the Lord, speaking forth a prophecy in his name. 
And that would be implied the name of Jesus. Jesus is preaching the sermon. And in your name, in the name of Jesus, did we not cast out demons? And in your name, three times, perform how many? Many miracles, not just a few, many. And then I will declare to them, and here's the key, and this was the last song that we sang. Jesus says he will declare, I never knew you. Never. There was never a relationship here. So anything that you produced was never the consequence of a relationship. And then these frightening words, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And then several times in the last uh, months in Luke, we've looked at this parable. The one who hears and acts upon God's word builds upon the rock. The one that hears and does not act is the one who builds upon the sand. One house stands in the storm of judgment. And I told you that a lot of commentators, when they look at this particular parable, see a last day scenario here, that the storm of God's judgment will come. One house built upon the rock, who is Jesus Christ, will stand. The other house built upon sand, not built upon Jesus, will fall. And so Isaiah picks up this theme, and let's go back there. And he's talking about two people groups, and he's taking us all the way to the day of the Lord, the day when God pours out the judgment, the seventh seal in the book of Revelation that we're studying on Friday mornings with the men's group. And he invites the nations to come. God calls out through the prophet and he says these words. This is Isaiah 34, verse one. He says, draw near, O nations, to hear and listen. So there's an invitation by God given through the prophet And he says, come, I want you to listen to what I have to say. He is summoning the people to come and listen. And then he says, let the earth and all it contains hear and the world and all that springs from it. Notice that Assyria, which has been the focal point of much of the book of Isaiah, has now moved into the backdrop and the nations are before God now. This is what we call an eschatological chapter. That is a big word to mean the last days. God is summoning the nations and he's saying, I want you to come, I have a message for you. I want you to listen up because I'm gonna give you a message. And what you'll see in the verse, because sometimes when we think of judgment, we think, well, is God being too harsh? I mean, after all, there seems to be a lot of quote unquote good people out there. But what you see in the verse is something interesting. It says, let the earth, look at the middle of verse one, And all it contains here. And I read that and I thought that reminds me of another verse. And it reminded me of Psalm 24. So I want you to go to Psalm 24 and I want to show you what gives God the right to judge. Psalm 24. Now Psalm 22, 23, and 24 are called the shepherd psalms. They're a trilogy of psalms. And Psalm 22 is about who? The suffering Messiah Much detailed prophecy about Jesus. They will pierce my hands and my feet. Detailed description of the cross a thousand years before it ever happened. That's Psalm 22, the suffering servant. Psalm 23 is the good shepherd, right? And you've got to know the shepherd of Psalm 20. You've got to know the suffering servant of Psalm 22 to call Jesus your shepherd in Psalm 23. And then Psalm 24 uh, speaks of the king of glory and points to his return. And here's how it starts. Psalm 24, one, the earth is the Lord and what? 
all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. You see, the reason that the Lord has the right to judge is because he made the world and all the people in it. It's his world, it's his universe, he makes the rules, we don't. And he is very patient. And he says, Psalm 22 is about me suffering and dying. Psalm 23 is my desire to guide you as your shepherd that laid down your life, laid down my life for you. But you need to know that I'm also the king of glory and I'm going to come. And the reason I can, I can stake my claim to this planet is because I made it. It belongs to me. You belong to me. And if you won't come on my terms, then you won't come. For he has founded it, that is the earth upon the seas, established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand, verse 3, in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, has not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. That is, God gives us a righteous standing. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek thy face, even Jacob. And then you'll see Selah. Psalms are music. So that's a pause in the music. Stop. Meditate on it. Think about it. That's the idea. And then notice the personification of the gates. Lift up your heads, O gates. Remember Jesus talked about the wide and narrow gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts, that's Yahweh. He is the king of glory. And so Isaiah summoning, go to uh, Isaiah 34, the, the earth, the peoples of the earth, and saying to them, will you listen? Will you listen in light of recognizing who God is? And will you see his right over you and over the earth? Isaiah 34, look at verse two. For the Lord's indignation is against not just some, but all the nations. Isaiah 34, two, and his wrath or fury, New King James, against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to slaughter. So their slain will be thrown out, Isaiah 34, 3. Their corpses will give off their stench. This is an ugly picture, but here it is. And the mountains will be drenched or soaked with their blood. The soil erosion is not due here to wind or water or torrential rains, but it is due to the blood of those who have opposed God the many that have chosen the wide road to destruction. And this is a, one of the ugliest mudslides I suppose you could imagine. But this is the cost of those who are unredeemed. And I was reading one commentary and the commentator said, well, so much for uh, hate the sin, love the sinner. <laughs> I'm sorry, but the reality is that at some point, if you don't come under the covenant of grace in Jesus Christ, then judgment is not going to be just at your sin. Judgment is going to come at you. I mean, that's just the reality. Now, obviously, I believe in hating the sin and loving the sinner. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying there's going to be a point in God's judgment where his judgment is directed at people. And he's going to say, if you oppose me, then you're going to deal with me. 
And all the host of heaven will wear away. Look at verse 4. The sky will be rolled up like a scroll, and all their hosts will wither away. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. And the mountains will be drenched or soaked with their blood. The soil erosion is not due here to wind or water or torrential rains, but it is due to the blood of those who have opposed God, the many that have chosen the wide road to destruction. And this is a, one of the ugliest mudslides I suppose you could imagine. But this is the cost of those who are unredeemed. And I was reading one commentary, and the commentator said, well, so much for uh, hate the sin, love the sinner. (laughs) I'm sorry, but the reality is that at some point, if you don't come under the covenant of grace in Jesus Christ, then judgment is not going to be just at your sin. Judgment is going to come at you. I mean, that's just the reality. Now, obviously, I believe in hating the sin and loving the sinner. Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying there's going to be a point in God's judgment where his judgment is directed at people. And he's going to say, if you oppose me, then you're going to deal with me. And all the host of heaven will wear away. Look at verse 4. The sky will be rolled up like a scroll, and all their hosts will wither away. This is a judgment of the last day's context. I told you Isaiah 34 is pointing to the day of the Lord. And the host of heaven, interestingly enough, could point to the pagan deities worshipped by the pagans around Israel and, of course, by Israel itself. People were in the temple area. In the book of Ezekiel, you can look at chapters 8 and 9, and they are turning towards the sun and they're worshiping the sun god from the very temple that's supposed to be dedicated, dedicated to the true god. And God tells Ezekiel, do you see what they're doing? Do you see what they're doing in my temple? And so this could be, the host of heaven could point here to them wearing away the, the false gods. And the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. Now, in ancient times, what you read from was a scroll, not a book. Books came along later. So when a scroll is rolled up, what do you think that that points to? Well, I think it points, in one sense, to the end of the story. God knows when he's going to close the book. God knows when he's going to roll up the scroll. And this is language that points not only to the end of the story, but this also points to the fact that God is on the throne, and when he wants stuff to be done, it's going to be done. He's going to write the ending himself. As a matter of fact, he's already written the ending. I hope you've read the end of the book. Because if you have, it means we win and we will be with him forever. But God has chosen a day when the host of heaven he will deal with, when the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts also will wither away as a leaf withers from the vine or as one withers from the fig tree. Now, just for the sake of time, um, you can uh, 
note a couple of things. First of all, in the book of Revelation, when God is uh, pictured by John as seated on the throne, all these incredible colors are emanating from the throne. He holds in Revelation 5.1 a scroll in his hand. you remember? And many uh, commentators believe the scroll represents the title deed to the earth. The scroll has seven seals on it, and you cannot um, see or have that scroll unfolded and the plan unveiled until every seal is broken. When John recognizes in a universal search that no one is able to take the scroll and open it, break its seals and open it, he begins, remember, to weep in heaven. And then he's told to stop weeping for the line of the tribe of Judah has overcome to take the scroll, loose its seals, and to progress the plan of God. And that is a scroll that will sum up the times. And the, the rolling up of the scroll here just reminds me of that scene. You'll have the seven seals unfold. The seventh seal is the wrath of God. And this is how the, the book, the Bible, culminates with this scroll and the seven seals being unveiled. And so this points to the last day's scenario. You're also going to find in Revelation 6, this is the sixth seal of that particular scroll. Here's what it says. Just write down for your notes, Revelation 6, 12 through 14. And I looked when he broke the sixth seal, the lambs breaking the seals, and there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth made of hair. The whole moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. This is Revelation 6.14. And the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Revelation 6.12-14. And God says in verse 5, My sword is satiated, meaning full or satisfied in heaven. Behold, it shall descend for judgment upon Edom. Remember, this is the difficult chapter. Edom is also mentioned in Isaiah 63, verse 1. And upon the people whom I have devoted to destruction, if you have a new King James, it says, upon the people of my curse for judgment. Now, when you read a little bit on Isaiah 34, you'll find that commentators believe that Edom may just typify the nations. Edom came from Esau. Esau was Jacob's brother. Edom and Esau have the connotation of red. What was Esau about? Esau was a man of the field, he was an outdoorsman, and one day he came in famished from out, being out there hunting, and you know Jacob was cooking up the stew, and what did he do? He sold what? His birthright. And then later on in the book of Genesis, Jacob dresses up like Esau with the encouragement of his mama, right? Some animal skins on the wrists, and, and uh, makes some food for him, and dad is convinced and he recognizes that there's a difference, but he can't see real well, and, and Jacob steals the blessing. So now he's got the birthright of Esau and the blessing of Esau. And remember when Esau realizes what's happened to him, and that conniver Jacob has done him in, what does he say? Daddy, do you have anything for me? Is there a blessing left for me, Daddy? Well, maybe you should take a look at your priorities, Esau. I mean, after all, you didn't seem to have a problem giving away what Jacob was more than willing to take from you. See, that's the kind of person Esau was. Edom comes from Esau. And when the children of Israel were moving out in the Exodus, they wanted to pass through Edomite territory. And this is the territory of modern-day Jordan, by the way, which is just to the east of Israel. And so uh, there they are. 
and they want to pass through, and the Edomites wouldn't let them pass through. They were, were even willing to pay for the water there, and Edom said no. And these were, this, these were familial relationships. These were brothers that should have been on each other's side. Of course, there was tension because of everything that had taken place. So there's one possibility that Edom is simply a picture of the world without God, the world that puts the flesh above the spirit, the world like Esau that sought repentance with tears, but, but though his heart wasn't really in it. It's like he was sorry, but he was sorry for the wrong reasons. You know how someone can say they're sorry about something, but then you realize they're not doing anything to change their circumstances? So you say, well, how sorry are you really? I mean, you come in here crying, but, but you keep selling things that are important for bowls of soup. I mean, how serious are you then? And so this is the, the sword of the Lord. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood, verse 6. It is sated with fat, with the blood of lambs and goats. Those, that's pointing to the sacrificial system with the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra. There's the capital of Edom. And a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Uh, you might want to write down for your notes, Obadiah. When's the last time you read the book of Obadiah? Let me tell you something. If you want to kind of go around and boast to your friends that you've tackled a book of the Bible, go read Obadiah because it's one chapter. And then you can tell your friends, I read a book of the Bible today. You did? Wow. Yeah, Obadiah. No, they don't even know where Obadiah was. They pro- is. They probably won't even look for it. So you, you'll be looking good to your friends anyway. But read Obadiah because you'll get a little bit more about this. You've been listening to The Two Roads, Part 1 on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 34. Hey, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on our Free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, we'd love to connect with you. You can email or send Pastor Michael and the team here a letter. We love mail. You can get all the contact information at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. But our email address is contact at walkintruth.com. That's contact at walkintruth.com. And here's our mailing address. Are you ready? You can write Pastor Michael at P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. That's P.O. Box 2063, Corona, California, 92878. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, maybe you would say after hearing a teaching like this, you know, all my life I've been hearing about the judgment of the world or the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ or even the day of the Lord. But I haven't seen it, you might say, or, you know, evil is happening right now. And where is God? And these are certainly good questions. You know, one thing that we need to know about the Lord is that he is patient. He waits and waits and waits and then judgment comes. And one thing that we need to understand about God's judgment is that it's already happened in the world. There was a worldwide flood, and Peter mentions this in 2 Peter 3, uh, leading it in, into the idea of a uh, day of the Lord. He talks about the flood. He talks about the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. But in the passages that we've been looking at, for example, in Isaiah and the day of the Lord, these have already happened in embryo as the Lord used Assyria to judge the northern kingdom and Babylon to judge the southern kingdom. And then later Rome, uh, many would argue that Jesus, you know, m- much of what he says in Matthew 24, at least one layer of it, 
is predicting the fall of Jerusalem at the hands of the Romans as a judgment from God uh, as it relates to rejecting the Messiah. So this has already happened. God has judged the world in different ways in terms of allowing things to occur to get our attention. And of course, he has fixed a day when he will judge the world in righteousness. Paul told the Athenians in Acts 17, you can look at verses 30 and 31. So my answer to that question is that it has happened and it's going to happen. And the best thing that you can do is know the judge because the judge is Jesus. In fact, he said, all judgment has been given to the son. Now the judge was judged for us. Amazingly, the gospel says the judge took our judgment. And so if you want to know the one who is life, the one who's our judge, but yet took our judgment. His name is Jesus. And you can pray right now, Lord Jesus, thank you for entering into our pain, our suffering, taking our judgment. And I trust you as my Lord and Savior. I repent of my sin and I ask you to be my King, my God. Forgive me of my sin. I repent of it and help me to follow you all the days of my life and glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, if you've opened your heart to the Lord or rededicated your life, would you reach out to us at contact at walkintruth.com? That's an email address, contact at walkintruth.com. Tell us your story. Uh, Tell us about how the program's been a blessing to you. We would love to hear from you. Contact at walkintruth.com. We'll be back tomorrow for more on Isaiah 34 and 35. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapter 34 called The Two Roads. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.